Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Elsa Cowell. She is a school counsellor and freelance PHSE teacher uh, based out in Brunei. And I have had the pleasure of knowing uh, Elsa for a number of years now. Um, so one of the things I thought we'd do with this episode is bring you a little bit of an international feel and obviously I've spoken to people from uh, Australia, America, but, but this really brings another element and another area of the world to you. Um, so welcome, welcome uh, Elsa and I think what, what we might do is really, really start with a, not how do we know each other and, and get into the friendship <laughs> chat, um, but with you being a school counsellor out in Brunei, with, particularly with children, young people, what kind of yeah, what kind of issues do you think we really need to be taking att- paying attention to in terms of being adults, parents, um, teachers, etc., on this this side of the waters? I think the the issues are very similar um, throughout the world, from what I can tell. And we have about 55 different nationalities in our school. We're an international school. And I tend to find that the issues that young people face here are very similar to the issues that I worked with back in the UK. Um, A lot of the time, it's not about the technology. It's about the behaviour. With with the internet and, and with social media, certain things can be magnified. So if you're being bullied, there's more people that can see it. Um, and witness it, um, but at the same time, there's more people who can, who can be, who can bystand and, and intervene and stick up for people and, and whatnot. What I'm seeing more of now, and I don't know whether this is a thing um, for this part of the world specifically or whether this is worldwide. My guess is it's worldwide. Is that a lot of young people are, are necessarily going out and about and meeting people in real life anymore. They're, they're kind of talking online a lot and staying inside their houses rather than actually going out. And one of the really peculiarities, I don't know whether you've, you've seen this as well, um, with children people that I work with, like do you have people that you talk to online that you know in real life, mm. but don't talk to you in real life? There's just so many of them. Like I had one... Yeah. The woman who was like, my best friend is this person. And I, I talk to them all the time online, but I don't talk to them in real life. And they sit next to me in class, but I don't know how to interact with them. And I always find that a little bit. I don't know, do you see that? I'm massively so in terms of, um, particularly for my, for, um, for my clientele that um, want to come into therapy, they don't know how to phone me. So, so there's something about they don't know how to phone, but they could text and they could speak to me online. Yeah. And then what they what they then do is they might get somebody else to actually do the phone call and the speaking. So it's it's this it's this difficulty of real world, um, kind of mm. vocal, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And I don't know whether, so I see a number of young people with social anxiety, so they have real kind of social anxiety, but at the same time have this kind of really lively online presence that, you know, and they very come across as very confident and whatnot. So there's a real kind of duality of, of identity, really, the person that they can be online and the person that they can be, you know, in real life. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm just thinking. This is this is kind of not not that we've set this podcast up much um, in terms of what we said we might talk about. But there's something here yeah. about um, the men- the mental health of young people as well, and why 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 young people might be engaging in this. You know, so I'm I'm just thinking mm-hmm. about why. Yeah, really, why you might feel that young people do this. They have this double double standard mm-hmm. if you like of not being able to do it with their their mouths but they could do it with their thumbs and tongue okay. i don't know one of the things that i see quite often as well is um when i'm out and about in restaurants and things parents seem to be on their phones a lot and like just they're not actually this is there's a general horrible sweeping statement there seems to be a number of parents who are out there kind of sweeping at their phones instead of engaging in conversations with the um, with their children and that's not necessarily just little ones but you know big ones as well and I wonder if there is a little bit that we've all just kind of become a little bit more insular in terms of kind of what we're doing and how we're communicating so we're on our phones and we're typing away and we're seeing something funny and then we're showing the person next to us and then we're going back into our little world and then we're showing the person next to us and then we're going back and we're all seem to be doing that and where the problems arise, I guess in friendship groups, it seems to be okay as long as everybody's got the technology. But as soon as one person's parents take that phone away, they're suddenly not included at all in that kind of social interaction. So for them, then stepping out of that and being at a party where everybody just wants to take selfies and play on Instagram and upload stuff and you know look on YouTube and da, 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 they feel really excluded and and unhappy. It just I don't know whether it's like one of those like kind of peer influence things because everybody else seems to be doing it. It seems to be easy and having some kind of conflicts as well with their friends when they're able to to join in and the friends are like, well, it's your fault because you haven't got a phone. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do. Find, to be to be honest, I do find that much much more apparent with the younger children. So particularly around um, nine, ten, eleven, and twelve. That, that age seems to be kind of like the pester power about young children going to secondary school and them not having yeah. what their friends have got. You know, and, that, and, and that, that's really difficult to listen uh, with, with young people saying, so I've, I've arrived at secondary school and my dad gave me one of those old Nokia flip things and my <laughs> smartphone, you know, and I just think, yeah, it's really hard. But then I also listen to um, some of the younger adolescents um, and the, the younger adults even, sorry. Um, and when they talk about, you know, so we, we go to a party and, you know, and there's one person constantly videoing and constantly taking yeah. pictures and it's like, I can't relax and I don't know how to almost yeah. be at that party because everything's going to end up on social media. And yeah. I think that's, that's, that's a really difficult place. And I think that's what a lot of the adults don't understand is that it's not just about the phone where they're sitting, for example, texting their friends it's then about what happens in the real world as well yeah it's more about kind of so it's not just just about um just the phone it's also about the future of the having the photographs and and whatnot put online is that yeah yeah 
and I'm I'm just thinking about what so that what I'm thinking here that might be helpful for the the adults and parents listening is actually can you imagine that amount of added peer pressure added stress to not only is it you, you're at a party so I'm, I'm just thinking I mean we are we are only just over 21 both of us so yeah, if, yeah. We go back, if we go back a couple of years um we would have been at a party and we would have been in the here and now we would have been at the party doing what we were doing you know at the dance club at the I don't know yeah. anywhere youth club youth club <laughs> let's go with that and then and then uh, there's, there's now this idea of, but if you know somebody in the corner has got a phone, that they're constantly taking pictures of what's happening and what's going on, you then need to almost, almost perform and, and yeah. always be at your best, no matter where you are. And I'm, I'm just all, pressure. Yeah, total pressure. And I've had students say to me as well, we don't invite such and such to our parties anymore because they always take photographs of us in compromising positions or doing something. Yeah. So yeah. those people are now getting kind of, you know, you're not, we're not going to have you here anymore because you can't, you're not using technology. Um, I guess, I think I asked um, our year 11s um, a couple of weeks ago, like how many of them would be happy if their parents took all of their internet devices from them, thinking I'd get nobody to stand up and there was at least 10%. So at least 10% of them stood up and just like, actually, just sick of this world. Um, you know, how do yeah. you, a 12-year-old tell me that they take, you know, at least 40 selfies before they upload the one that they want. And then if that selfie on Instagram doesn't get 100 likes, then they take it down. And that kind of, the idea that they don't really like social media but they recognize that social media is the thing that they need in order to be popular and to be liked and to be part of and it's just so much pressure like on them just to just kind of be involved in that whole kind of scene I do feel bad for young people I wouldn't like to be a young person like now to be honest yeah I I, I don't think it's helped actually by so I'm I'm one of the things I've done over Christmas apart from um deal with this chest infection is um i've spent a lot of time not on social media because i've been coming yeah. across articles which have just absolutely enraged me one of them was um playing games makes kids quitters and i was like how on earth oh i know it's i wrinkle i did more than wrinkle my nose up at it um <laughs> this this article actually said something along the lines of oh no it wasn't it was a social media post so it wasn't an article it was um and it was an internet internet related social media account that was saying um children who play games become quitters because what they do is for example say they're playing um so obviously this would only be 18 plus uh, i'm being slightly wrong yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> um so it was it was along the lines of if the team was losing you know say they were playing card or Fortnite, and if their team was losing these children might just go quit game and disappear off and do something else and I, I kind of thought, that doesn't make them quitters. It makes them knowledgeable. It makes them well aware that it's only a virtual space. Um, mm -hmm. but actually, these children can't quit in the real world. They have to take their exams. So there's something about this technology doesn't make them quitters. They want no, to take no. it because the education system doesn't allow that. So, <sighs> yeah. I think, I think sometimes there's a lot of moral panic and around 
technology and kind of how young people use it. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that a lot of adults don't really understand how embedded it is. And I was just thinking, (laughs) I remember being young and my grandma, my mum would say, when I was young, we didn't have colour TV. And I found myself going, (laughs) when I was like, how old am I really? Oh my gosh. Like, I was 16, 17 when I first came across the internet and the web and, you know, I got the first Google phone and it was just very, it was 21 when I got my first mobile phone. And so, you know, the, the world that young people are growing up in now is very different from the world that I grew up in. In some respects, it allowed, I guess, me to have a lot more freedom, exactly going back to what you were saying before in terms of not everything was documented and not everything, um, Nobody was going to take a terrible photograph of me doing something and then post it all over everywhere because, you know, you have to put the roll in your camera properly first. You yeah. Know? You, go the, <laughs> you go to the chemist to get it printed out and then make random, you know, it just wouldn't happen. Um, and I think because the world is changing so rapidly, we're trying to grasp on actually how can we help young people navigate um, through, through what they're doing. And uh, again, it goes back to behaviour, yeah. Like, if I play Monopoly with my brothers, at some point, I will get annoyed and I will flip it and I'll be like, nope, that's it, not playing anymore. Complete quitter, absolute quitter with Monopoly. With other things in my life, not so much. But I guess that goes back to Fortnite. Like, if you're playing Fortnite or whatever and actually you realise you're going to lose and, well, well, you can continue doing it, which... In reality, a game of Fortnite doesn't mean that much, really. Like, it's not the most important thing in the world. Mm-hmm. You can go something else. It doesn't mean that. Yeah, for me, for me, I actually see that as about frustration tolerance. So that's that's yeah. talking like a therapist for a moment. One of the things I actually do is I uh, so I use gaming in techno um, gaming technology uh, in my therapy practice, which most people now know. Um, because one of the things that I'm doing is, is I'm creating situations where I know the children do struggle. And then it, how do they manage? Um, so, for example, uh, we might be playing on the Wii, which is, you know, old-fashioned piece of kit. Not many children are um, au fait with it now because it's pretty much old hat, isn't it? The, I reckon the later teens might be better with it. But young children at the moment uh, uh, will sit there and they'll say, how do I do this? How do I do this? And then... Mm-hmm. Then I have to say to them, you know, okay, what's, so what's happening for you right now? How, yeah. how do you feel not to be able to do something that you feel you should be adept at? And we talk about what it feels like to be angry, what it feels like to yeah. be frustrated. Um, and it allows them to build up their, their vocabulary, their tolerance. And that's actually something that I don't see parents doing with children because, yeah, you're right. It, quitting, quitting a computer game is just the same as quitting a board game. Yeah, or cards. You know, it's it doesn't mean that that person then has something wrong with their mental health or their personality. It just yeah. means actually that's their frustration tolerance level. Yeah. So I'm I'm just thinking about kind of what. So we're doing kind of this pressure thing, this mental health. What else do you see? Let's get. In fact, let's go with the conversation that I know both of us um, really really <laughs> enjoy in terms of what about the pressures about how people should be in terms of who they should be, how they should look. Yeah. Just thinking, my head's gone off here about, let's take, for example, that we're at a party and 
let's say, I don't know, George over in the corner is the masculine man and wants to be seen as the masculine man. So he turns up all of the time and, you know, shirt half undone. Um, no, I want to say like medallion. Let's go with the medallion. <laughs> and then we have, yeah, yeah. And then we might have, you know, Joe in the corner, but he's not sure kind of what sexuality he fits under and how he would present himself. And then we might, do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. How, how do you find that that's, that's something that you're dealing with in terms of therapy and, and in terms of what your opinions are, really? Mm, I think um, in some respects, you know, that's been really good in terms of uh, positivity and kind of um, loving yourself and, and whatnot. On the, on the flip side, um, you have got the kind of really the really kind of ingrained notion of what you should be like if you identify in a certain way. So I'm thinking of kind of, um, you know, young women who, well, it changes, every generation changes what the, the ideal is. So I mean, I'm seeing a lot of the hourglass, the big hips, the tiny waist kind of, um, that CrossFit-esque kind of strong, um, strides and you skinny, blah 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 blah. Um, yeah. You can only train to a certain amount. Your body shape, your body shape, in the end, is going to be determined a lot by genetics. So for young women, historically, we've always looked at kind of in the media and whatnot. Kind of look at what our ideal body image should be, what we should be looking at, um, looking at as I guess what how we should look. I think with Instagram and stuff now, is of the kind of like fit sport and kind of the body ideal in a lot of ways has changed. So like strong is a new skinny, but again, yep. strong and that kind of really kind of buff, you know, big boobs, big butt, tiny waist, muscular. For some young women, is completely out of the question as well. For those of you watching on video, you might have noticed that there's a slight change in um, how this is now looking because um, oh. technological hiccup. So we will go again with uh, the conversation that's that's yeah, close close to my heart, Elsa. And <laughs> what we were talking about was um, young people and how how they feel their 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 understanding of sexuality is is being influenced, if you like, by uh, cyberspace. Yeah. Um. I think cyberspace has a lot of good. It has a lot of good. It has um, just thinking about the body positivity um, and sex positivity kind of movements and and how, you know, there are certain areas of the web that, you know, are incredibly so the problem as a counsellor, I guess the problems that I see are when somebody's how they look doesn't necessarily fit the beauty ideal. So, you know, that cause, causes low confidence or self-esteem, kind of um, worrying about how they should be against, are they ever going to get, find love? Are they ever going to find a boyfriend? Are they ever going to find a girlfriend? Are they ever going to find, you know, are they ever going to be happy within themselves? And, you know, if, if the ideal body changes from, I don't remember kind of, in the 90s, it was, you know, Kit Moss, really skinny, kind of, which I was never going to be. Big boobs, small hips. I was never going to be that. Um, for a lot of young people now, I'm seeing, for young women, I'm seeing uh, the ideal of, you know, big boobs, 
big hips, small waist, which for the most part is genetics. If you're, you know, you're blessed with an hourglass figure, good on you because you look amazing. But from, from myself, um, I know I could never, it doesn't matter how much training I did in the world, I was never going to have, I'm never going to have that body. And for young people, I think sometimes they're looking at places like Instagram um, for validation of what they're supposed to look like and how they're supposed to behave and how they're supposed to act. And it's not matching up with who they are. And sometimes not even matching that real kind of push-pull and, and just being unhappy about kind of what they're seeing and against actually who they are. I don't know that you see that too. Um, yeah, I was going to say, have you, as, as you were talking then, I was just thinking about, have you ever flicked down TikTok and seen kind of the, so for me, the trend at the moment in um, young ladies is to be, um, so let's, let's start with the fact they're very, very porcelain figure uh, in, in terms of their skin is flawless. Um, it looks, um, so they have very, very um, big highlighter um, going on on their cheeks. Yeah. Very, very glam. Yeah. Yeah, um, uh, I think I've I think I've spoken before about kind of how how important eyebrows are, and and that that became the thing that um, people needed to be involved. Yeah. In. Um, but actually, what I do see in terms of how these young ladies uh, are particularly dressing is there tends to be this thing about all tops are, are tied off at the waist, so it's almost like the belly top kind of stuff. Yeah. Designer jumpers tucked in at the waist, um, and then I see. Uh, young men tend to have this very, very slick, um, so their hair's always slick to one side. It's almost like we've had the reinvention of the 1980s hair gel. Does, yeah. that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's all very much like um, Sunday best is the best way I can describe it, is, is looking at these young people at the moment. There's almost something about it has to be absolutely perfect, on point, tidied, and there's no room to be pretty much like I enjoy being on a weekend, you know, slobbing out in my um, tracksuit bottoms, maybe, or, or jogging bottoms, whatever you, whatever you call them nowadays. And, uh, you know, like a T-shirt, the, there doesn't seem to be any room for, oh, the letting go and the being. This is that performance, isn't it? I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier on before we started recording about the performance nature of social media and, like, you know, always having to be ready for that photograph that's going to come, always having to, you know, to be perfect. But I don't know whether you've seen, um, I, I talk to people a lot about perfectionism and like how, like their ideal isn't, it's in, you can't, you can't match up to what, what they want to be, that kind of 100%, that kind of, always looking great, like always that like perfect person, because there's no such thing as that perfect person. Yeah. Um, and I think the performance aspect of how people present themselves with the kind of, like I couldn't contour my face if I tried, I wouldn't know what to, <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do, like I was like, fair play to them, it looks, you know, um, some of the makeup stuff on, on Instagram is just amazing what people can do. Then again, at the same time, I remember caking my face in Body Shop, you know, that really thick Body Shop um, foundation that you could get that made your whole face orange and then you'd have this kind of line that went around here that was just like flat on your face um, throughout my whole teenage years, which I shouldn't really admit to. So for so... Yeah. <laughs> 
I did the one where I looked dead because I was into alternative music and goth and, and rock. Yeah. And <laughs> rockabilly, punkabilly. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You see his talc sometimes, his face powder. <laughs> literally look like a ghost. <laughs> so I think some of it, um, I, guess, I guess when I was young, we, I was influenced by um, like magazines like Just 17 or more or things that we saw on Saturday morning TV, like the pop stars or smash hits or whatever. I guess now the influence is much wider. And one of the things that, particularly for non-white young people, like if the, and we see stuff here, like a lot of the makeup that's been sold in Asia have white models, like advertising the makeup. Um, we have, you know, skin whitening creams in like every, in every kind of chemist, you know, whether they're corsic or whether they just have sun cream in them, I don't know. But like, so if you're, for some, for some young people, they're never going to match that Instagram beauty standard anyway. Like they're just, they're just not. And it really causes some young people to, to really feel kind of like they're not good enough. And they'll never be good enough. And it really kind of plays at their soul, I think, sometimes. So it's, it's almost like trying to reach a dystopia that doesn't exist. I'm yeah. just thinking how, how difficult that... But also, I think when, when we were talking before, there was something about... Uh, so if you were at a party, there's also something about not, not knowing how you um, ought to, need to, should. And I'm just thinking about these kind of um, critical yeah. states at the beginning of that, about what it is that you you know, that society demands right now about how you should look if you're female, if you're yeah. male, depends on what gender prefix you use, um, whether yeah. your sexuality defines that. And that I think that's where we're into. So um, I think the term fluidity is much, much more broader than, than gender. I think it's yeah. to do who are you as a human being and yeah. how does it fluidly fit into today's society? Does that, does that kind of sit with what you're seeing in therapy? Yeah, a little, yeah, a little bit. Um, just kind of, I think the world feels a lot smaller. So, for example, you know, students that I work with will talk about not Italian therapy, but will be talking about like when Donald Trump was elected. Ooh, like this was like all over the school. Like kids are talking about it. What's that going to mean? How's that going to, um, you know, all the stuff to do with just to go to go off slightly um, to do with the rhetoric that Muslims are terrorists, you know, I've had that flitter through as well in some points, like actually how does that, this is not who I see myself as, this, this is not who I am as a Muslim, however the world is saying this, um, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And, and then you have the young people who identify as non-heterosexual. So, okay, so what does that mean? Like, I, I don't feel comfortable at the moment same, same, same as in the UK. I don't feel comfortable at the moment kind of figuring out that with my family or my friends. So I'm going to look at um, the places I can, where can I go to have a look at go to the internet. So who am I supposed, if I'm going to identify as a gay man, like what does that look like? What am I supposed to look like? What am I supposed to do? Kind of how they're looking for that kind of stereotype in order to kind of grab a hold of some sort of identity while they figure out who they are and how that just tiny part or that part of their 
the aspect of their identity fitting with them as a whole. And in some cases, I think the internet for that's really good because you can go and you can, you know, if you have kind of questions with regards to who you are, you can go out on the internet, you can find young people who have the same thing. Um, when I say this about the same thing, that's so terrible. What I was thinking about that was health conditions. So, yeah. um, so for young people who have cancer or, um, I don't know, something, some kind of health condition can go and get support online. Um, likewise, you know, if you're questioning your identity, you can go and find other young people who are questioning their identity and have that conversation and make those links and make those friends. And I think for a lot of young people, they have friends on the internet that they would never you know, in different countries and different places and they really are they're making the world smaller yeah where I worry is when young people have severe mental health problems and they go and find other young people with severe mental health problems and instead of that community supporting each other to get better they're actually creating this kind of supportive community whereby you're only accepted if you continue to be ill. That sounds quite no, no, cynical. No, no, no. no I'm, I'm totally in agreement with you there. This is, I mean, cool. I'm just going to totally take what you've said and try and succinctly go, I really, really like the phrase that you made about the stereo, the typical, if you like, the typical stereotype. Well, actually, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it, on the internet. So if you, for example, if you go looking for a stereotype of X, Y, Z, the, yeah. the Let's, let's just go with the, um, I'm just thinking of a TV programme so it makes it easier for adults to get where I'm coming from with this. So if I'd have said years ago, the typical stereotype of an upper class and a lower class person reminds me of the, <clears throat> do you remember when Ronnie Corbett did that? <clears throat> um, I look up to him because he's like him. Yeah. I look up to him. That, that kind of stereotype of middle, upper yeah. class. That, well, that doesn't even exist anymore. Because if you go and look for an upper class person, you might find um, footballers' wives. You might find yeah. somebody into fox hunting. You might find somebody that's into um, politics. Yeah. The, the stereotypes now really, really fluid. Mm. I like what you said about yes, this is this is exactly what children are looking for, because it's almost like the old fashioned uh, when the internet began forums is now yeah. groups. And then I'm going to fast forward all the way through to what you've just said is, yeah, you, you have the two, for me, this is what I'm finding in therapy, is that, that you have the two types of, um, let's, call, let's call them, um, I don't want to say clients, I want to say people who go on to these support groups. There's those that find the positive, helpful, okay, this is how it can help me deal with my life, this is how it can help me mm. grow as a person, understand my sexuality, understand my um preferences about life versus those that have the script which is i need to stay ill in order yeah. to be validated by the rest yeah. of the group yeah so it's, it's kind of that whole i mean i know i've just gone through every single point you've just made the last. <laughs> it's okay. massively with this that's that's what i sit within therapy the most um is helping children understand that actually you don't need to fulfill the the neediness of the rest of the group in order to get the support from it there is something about you can use the group in order to feed and help and nourish yourself without them playing into you know the adaptability of everybody else and the, the yeah yeah I can see where you're coming from with that so what what do you think the solution might be 
<coughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there while I just have my coffee a bit. <laughs> I think the solution is, is similar to what, you know, the solution's always been. We'll always find um, young people needing to be helped in some way to have those people within places that they can get to, like counsellors in schools, um, it's always a good idea. Um, one of the jobs I used to do as a youth worker, went out into schools and colleges and did sex ed and did stuff around, like breaking stereotypes and, you know, raising confidence and assertiveness and all that kind of lovely stuff that unfortunately, um, a lot of it was cut back um, post 2010. So a lot of that work isn't being done anymore. Um, and just really kind of like talking to young people about actually what is it that you're using? What is helpful about what, what you're using in terms of social media and stuff? What's unhelpful about it? Um, and actually, you know, how do you want to live your life? Who do you want to be? You know, not having comparison is the root of all unhappiness. And I think there's something quite true about that. And one of the things that I used to tell young women to do when, when I worked as a youth worker back in like um, the early 2000s was to stop reading women's magazines. If you want to be happier, you stop reading women's magazines. Yes. I, said, <laughs> I said something very similar um, to somebody, I can't really give you the hashtag because it would, it would possibly tell you who they are. But uh, was one of the things I said to them was, Stop looking at this hashtag on Instagram. Yep. If you want to be happier, I'll just give you an example. It's not, but like it was fitspo, right? If you want to be happier, stop looking at, you know, strong as the new skinny, you know, fitspo as a hashtag on Instagram. Because what you're doing is you're comparing yourself to people on, the, on Instagram who their entire life is spent three or four hours in the gym every day to get that certain look and you know to get I'm never gonna have a six pack I don't know you do you have a six pack have you ever had a six pack but in terms of I think yeah so yeah just to kind of like for them just to be aware of actually what they're you know what the that'd be the first thing the second thing i think we need to do is have you ever come across vent social media yes like i think if people don't know vent is where you go on and you support other people um through their problems essentially kind of. um like um something called wisdom so i don't know if you know about wisdom no, I don't know about wisdom. It's not something that any of my students use. No, it's, it's supposedly, well, I mean, it says it's a 17 plus platform, but again, it's one of those platforms that says, are you 17? So, yeah. hey, um, yes, of course I am. Um, but wisdom is full of, um, you know, go and get some support around this issue, that issue, the other issue. And mm. I have literally just gone through this platform going JFC at times. Um, it's it's another platform where again I, I think this absolutely mirrors what we've just been talking about yes you can go on and speak with people it, it's a pretty much like the vent one is you can go and support people but what actually happens is it's like a misery funnel and people just tend to kind of go down and down and down, yeah. and, down and get more and more and more miserable because they're then comparing their misery to somebody else 
Yeah, but also what I also what I find um, like leading on from that as well, like the people who support their friends. So one of the things that I see, which isn't to do with individual problems, people's individual problems, but it's to do with young people supporting their friends who have mental health issues. Now, back in the day, when I was young, oh my God, I sounds old. Back in the day when I was young, you would see your friends at school. They would maybe give you a ring for about an hour after school mm. to talk about, you know, everything that you've just done after school together. That's okay. And then you were pretty much by yourself to get on with whatever you wanted to. What I see now is some young people have some pretty serious mental health issues and their friends are supporting them and they're supporting them all through the night. So they're getting, so I'm not, so I'm seeing, I saw a couple of young people a couple of years ago who one young woman said, I've talked three of my friends, not in, not in this country, but worldwide, out of suicide. And you're like, what support are you getting for taking on that burden of responsibility? And not only, so I think we need to be talking to young people about how to support their friends, like what they can do, um, but also how to look after themselves as well. So if they're taking on all of this stuff that traditionally therapists would take on, counsellors in schools would take on, or um, youth workers or parents, they're actually like, they're sitting, they're texting like just constantly um, all the time. I don't know if you see that as well. Yes, and it just brings me to this point of, um, actually, let's go back to a conversation we had a couple of years ago. Um, you, you'll understand where I'm coming from in a second. Yeah. But that, you know, as counsellors, we get supervision. Well, we have to have supervision. Yeah. We yeah. have supervision. Because what we're dealing with is vicarious trauma by listening to everybody else's shit all the time. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just impossible. There's a beautiful poem, and I've forgotten her name. Um, and it's, it's about if you think you can walk through water without getting wet, you know, check yourself. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the same as these young people have suddenly become mini counsellors. Yeah. I'm, ju I'm just thinking about um, one of the things I've noticed with our profession is that we don't know most, most, whenever I speak to counsellors, most counsellors don't understand cyberspace. They don't understand what children and young people are actually doing. They don't understand the safety side of things. Um, and I think the conversation mm -hmm. we had a couple of years ago was when did we become e-safety experts as well as <laughs> mini, mini supervisors for our clients because actually this is exactly what we're having yeah. to do. This is where I'm saying, um, you know, the counselling profession needs much, much more understanding around um, cyberspace. They need to understand exactly what it is that young people are doing, hence why I do what I do. But also, um, counsellors and psychotherapists need to understand more about sex and pornography because actually that's another area that you need to be able to sit and talk with mm. young people around. Because... Uh, that that's sometimes that's what I feel like is I'm I'm like a supervisor to the clients because they're talking to me about the crap that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, so and so so and so so and so's problem was like this, and then I had to help this person. And quite often I say, why? Why did you have to help? Well, because that's what you do as friends. And I go, but that's not actually the remit of a friendship. A friendship is not to sit there supporting somebody else through these mental health issues. That's the job of a professional. And you're, you're a young person mm. taking on the role of a professional 
with it and it's it's bled into society hasn't it and it's, it's somewhere these lines have become blurred nebulous and and these young people are actually doing our kind of job I don't know yeah. if you I don't know if that's how you would sum it up but yeah that's exactly how I'd sum it up and I'd sum up that we go home like we go home and we switch off and we have some vision and for some young people they're constantly yeah on their phones supporting their friends and various and and I don't know whether anybody's really captured, but particularly in the UK where, you know, young people's mental health services are, have been decimated over the last sort of 10 years. Like, actually, how much, how, how much are young people picking that up for their friends? And, like, how much impact is that then having upon them in terms of their anxiety and levels in terms of um, depression, in terms of kind of feeling out of control, feeling like, you know, perfectionist, like, actually, I need to be here, I need to be doing this for this person, the stress levels are going up through the roof as well, and I kind of, just, I just wonder if anybody's really captured it, so what, <laughs> we've got a pretty good system, I, I think I've got a pretty good system going at the moment, whereby I effectively supervise, uh, and then they drag them in as well, so like, they know where the line is, and they drag them in, so I've got some young people who've brought in a number of their friends because they seem to be the one that kind of people go to a lot. So they've kind of brought their friends in. So we've got, you know, we're doing pretty well and we, we do get out there. The worldwide, there must just be huge numbers of young people who are just under a great deal of pressure to make sure that their friends are okay. And social media and the internet system makes it a lot easier and doesn't give them... Yeah. A break and a lot of time um, saying saying to my clients and, and my children and, and a lot of friends. Actually, that's not your responsibility to hold on to that. That's not your responsibility to yeah. do. Um, you need to pass that on. And I, I was just thinking, actually, when when you speak to somebody in this country, they don't know where to refer an adult. You know, so if, if they said, "Oh, no. so and so struggling with such and such a problem," and I say, "Well, why why don't you get them to refer to such?" A, oh, I didn't even know that existed, Kath. I yeah. didn't even know that. I didn't even know. And quite often, the only service that I feel that children and young people know about um, is the Samaritans. So they tend to say, well, I'll just refer them to the Samaritans. And I think, you know, the Samaritans must be overloaded at the moment. Um, and, and, and that's maybe something that we could do on social media. Um, not we, but that's something that, as a society, yeah. we, could do, we could do better in terms of providing young people with the huge amounts of supportive networks that are out there and the professionals and so on. But actually, it comes down to teaching early on, this is not your responsibility to manage somebody else's mental health. But it's, it's, mm. it's taken on without question, isn't it? Yeah, because that's what you do for friends. My yeah. friends are happy. It's my job to make them okay. Yeah, and it's a huge response. It's a huge weight to have on your shoulders as a young person. Yeah, and I think what we possibly need to do is really think hard about mental health education in schools and kind of how we teach, you know, problem solving and personal effectiveness and emotional regulation and distress tolerance and all those kind of DBT kind of skills. How do we teach those young people so they can manage themselves, but also, you know, do a bit of work with, with young people as well around 
how it works and where it's okay to kind of stop and where you should be referring on and what you should be doing. Because, you know, oh, I, I WhatsApp them, but, you know, they left me unread for two hours. Feels like a huge rejection. Yeah. But actually, you know, it is the kind of time at the moment of instant gratification. Like, I text you, I want to reply. I text you, I want to reply. I text you, I want to reply. If you don't reply, then, oh, have I done something wrong? Have I, what's going on? Like, and you read so much into that, they didn't respond. I asked for help, but they didn't respond. The pressure to just be there all of the time and not switch your phone off. If I could just get my students to just switch their phone off at like, I don't know, like 8 p.m., just go for it. Go for it until 8 p.m. 8 p.m., just switch it off and just have some just quiet time and do stuff for you where your brain's not all the time or dealing with anybody else's problems or looking at how you think you should be on the internet or, you know, kind of comparing yourself against other people or whatever or helping. Yeah. I, I, if it comes up on every, every podcast episode at the moment, if I speak to anybody who's uh, a professional in and around mental health, we keep talking about this, um, this idea of, instant gratification and the answers of the as I as I talked about on I think it might have been my Facebook lives the blue tick the blue tick crisis <laughs> you know <laughs> it's turned up it's been read it hasn't been answered oh my god that must mean it's me um, yeah. how people quickly go from naught to 100 about it being about them you know yeah um, so I, I spend a lot of time um my I mean my favorite tool in therapy is to use the drama triangle Drama triangle yeah. winners, and I sit, I sit showing people how actually what you're doing is you're buying into a psychological game, and this, this is the result of it, and this is how you can actually change what you're doing. Um, and then we kind of talk about. So I actually like. The, I'm, I'm going to go slightly off on one. I do quite a little bit about the four agreements, and I, and I kind mm-hmm. of teach people about how not to take thing, take things personally. That actually, just because somebody doesn't respond to you doesn't mean that it's about you. It could be about them. So we will sit and, for example, we'll go through, and and young people are are really funny doing this, and I'll say, right, we're going to come up with seven different reasons as to why that person hasn't responded. And the first one is always about them, always. And I say, okay, so why haven't they responded? Well, because they've fallen out with me. And I say, okay, the next six answers must not include you in any way, shape or form. (laughs) <laughs> and then they get stuck it's like um you know but but yeah. I, find, I find that as an exercise a way that they can actually go so I call it turning the prism so let's stop looking at it this way let's turn the prism because there's seven colors in the rainbow let's find seven different reasons yeah. of why that might be a different way of thinking about this problem and you, you can see the shoulders like oh <sighs> yeah. Yeah, I can't mind me. Yeah, we're not mind readers, although people seem to think our profession is, don't they? They seem to be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I actually lead by example. So I do say to my clients, look, you know, if you um, want to speak to me, so particularly with young people, so if you text me, I will get back to you usually within two hours. So I give them that window because if I'm in supervision, I'm in there for two hours. Um, so it's, it's about saying, if I'm in supervision, I can't get back to you for two hours. But if I'm with a client, that's an hour. So the maximum you will wait is two hours, unless it's after seven o'clock at night and before nine o'clock in the morning, because I put do not disturb on my phone and I do not. Yeah. 
And you can see them kind of go, so you have like nearly 12 hours off, Kath? Yeah. Yeah, yes, I do. Yeah, if you text me in that time, I'm not going to answer you because that's my... T- and it's almost like putting a barricade around and shutting yeah. the door. That's it. Um, because I think if you, if you model... Yeah, I suppose if you model that behaviour for your clients, particularly young people, there's a permission that they can then take from you. Yeah. Okay, to do that. Although they do seem to think that that makes you completely weird as a person, that you can switch off and not answer your phone and, and so on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but then, you know, they've never really been given permission to do that because all their lives they've had, well, not all their lives, but like for a lot of their lives they've had this technology. And, and you can see... I do the same thing. Like I don't answer email. Nobody has my phone number, and I don't answer emails outside of work hours most of the time. Unless it's a really down tend to answer them. But you can see, you can see like fifteen year old lads who are like with their phones, and they're like, no, 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 no. You need you need to give your phone in, and they're like, but in particularly in boarding, so you have a boarding school, and like they don't like when they first come over. Well, what what what? I have to have to hand my phone in, and there's a real anxiety that goes with handing over this this lifeline, I guess, to the world. It's it's you know everything, particularly when yeah. like here, there's no there's no real public transport, there's no buses, there's no trains, there's well, there's not there is some buses, but very few. So people tend to stay in the houses a lot and don't only see each other in school. So that that really is their lifeline in terms of keeping up with their friends and, and whatnot yeah. as well. When my phone runs out of battery, which it inevitably does around 7pm because it's terrible and it just runs out, I don't charge it. I just leave it off and just put it in the wall. I just, I need to have time away from technology. And I love, I love technology. Like I, I love social media. I love being in contact with people. I love talking to people. But I also like being switched off a bit from the world as well. Yeah. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's that's like I, I like my space, but I'm going to go with that. I think for young people, in fact, I do this with my clients, you know, you know, that book, the book that doesn't actually exist. So we have the parenting book, the marriage book, the, the yeah. internet book. And I go, oh, well, let me just let me just have a look at the internet book. And you can see the kids like that. What? And I go, well, where does that? And I go, oh yeah, page thirty-two. It says that you have to answer your friends. It did, and sometimes you can almost look. And they go, what book? And I go, exactly. Where are these rules written down? Why, you know? And I get that we've this normative peer pressure, societal um, expectations, but actually, you do not have to follow follow a rule that doesn't exist and even if it was a rule that did exist you still don't have to follow it oh no that that might not be the best thing to say actually on a podcast might it <laughs> <laughs> oops you can edit it out it's fine <laughs> yeah. well that just goes to show my personality type doesn't it <laughs> uh, yeah yeah Right. Well, I, I'm just I'm just looking at the time, and given our my my <laughs> earlier, um, actually, I think we've probably done about fifty minutes. So, yeah. is, is there anything you want to put in, kind of, to wrap it up, or um, and and will you come back and do a second interview as well? 
Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, of course. I think just to kind of wrap it up a little bit, I think I think it's really important to state that when I've done training with our six formers about doing peer education for the younger ones, yeah. they have no idea what the younger ones are using. So there's a yeah, it's like even like four or five years difference, they don't necessarily know. So I think for professionals, we're not necessarily always going to know, but we should definitely ask. Does that make sense? So like we should always be asking young people about actually what they're using, um, how it's working out for them, how it impacts their life. And, you know, I think just going back to what I said before about comparison being the root of all unhappiness, that if we can kind of get young people to sometimes take a break from things that are not making them very happy, like comparing themselves to certain people on Instagram or, you know, and exactly what you were saying about being able to kind of figure out their boundaries when it comes to their own friends and how they use social media and actually taking care of themselves and just, and being able to take a step back sometimes and realize that, yeah, your whole life, tends to seem to be within this little device that we have in our hands but we also need to learn how to put our heads up and interact with people as well and that I think I think that's probably really important I think it's probably it might be a skill that we have to start teaching young people in terms of um, taking care of their own mental health taking care of each other's mental health assertiveness boundaries and you know, confidence and, inter- and interactions, which I guess is everything that we used to do like 10 years ago, um, but was cut. Um, yeah, I've actually, I've, I've got um, a little idea springing up in my head about something else, but this this is what I'm thinking about. Um, so just to pull, um, so I don't, I don't always know who's listening to this podcast, but I'm just going to bring one of the um, very basic person-centred uh, counselling um, premises, which is called the... the person-centered and it's the the real self and the ideal self and I I sometimes draw this for for young people and I'll say okay so this is your real self this is your ideal self and then what you've got in between is this incongruence and that's where you're stuck at the moment because this is who you are and this is who you want to be and this isn't about aspirations this is about the expectations and comparisons on the internet and I think that's exactly this podcast summed up isn't it is yeah absolutely middle bit that people are stuck in and that's that's what they're finding difficult so I'm, I'm just thinking Elsa that, that there's so much here to be said about parenting and you know this is this is why I'm writing the books that I am and, and whilst I keep talking about them I am taking my time on them because they're not about um this is the latest app this is what you need to do as a parent actually it's no. about this is what's going on for a young person mentally this is why they're doing what they're doing this is how to help them and it, it comes from it comes from basically the premise of how I practice. But it's it's all about it's not it's not about the apps, it's not about the technology, it's about the person. And that's yeah. that's missing from so much literature at the moment. Um, because we're demonizing parents, we're demonizing the technology, we're demonizing young people. Um, and I'm pretty pissed off with it to be honest, because yeah. humanity is this fabulous concept and we're just being told what we're all doing wrong. Yeah. Okay, so how can we can we end on what we're doing right? 
I think that would be absolutely fabulous. So apart from, you know, the, the wonderful world that we have where we get to help children, young people in terms of what we're doing, what, what would you what would you add in? What I think I think in terms of technology and young people, I think what's going right at the moment is um, I see with our students a lot more empathy with what's going on around the world for other people around the world. They feel a lot closer. Um, my population, because I'm in an international school, we have quite a, a transient population, so about 10% turnover every year because of um, people, you know, moving jobs and whatnot. So, but social media has brought the world closer together, so it's much easier for them to keep in contact with their friends um, who've left and their family and kind of really build this network. Um, and I also think, although I did say that we need to make sure that young people who support them, their friends are kept safe and have those real boundaries. But I think there's something really lovely about young people using technology to support each other as well and kind of building these communities and building these kind of um, safe spaces within, within the web whereby they can express themselves, they can be creative, they can, they can talk to other people their own age and, and make these connections, which, you know, 20 years ago, if you were the only, say you were the only gay, gay man in the village, <laughs> I was like, how do I say this without saying I'm the gay village? But you, yeah. were you were isolated, you were isolated. But now you've got this whole kind of world that opens up to you where you can get support. You know, if you've got, if you have a diagnosis of, I don't know, like, multiple sclerosis or whatever you can go online and you can meet other people and you can share ideas about how best to to combat it you know it's or to deal with it or to live with it sorry um so i think all of those things have been haven't would never have been possible without the technology and i think it is about at the end of the day it's about how people behave and how they feel and it's not necessarily about the tech i think for me anyway yeah yeah absolutely agree 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 yeah, absolutely. Um, so, thank you, thank you for coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you for putting up with my um, uh, <coughs> incessant coughing, which I have tried to keep to a minimum. Um, I will um, obviously get this sorted and, and put up on uh, the internet and so on, and we, we will have another conversation. I think there's so much more for us to go yeah. down this rabbit hole with. Um, so, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, podcast was edited by Rory Kavanagh, an audio enthusiast and music producer.